not the blood you spill that gets you what you want. It's the blood you share, your family, your friendships, your community. These are the most valuable things a man can have. The main thing that we are fighting for is the preservation of the white race. everybody doing thank you all very very much for coming out family as you guys can see with the title and the background and everything that's going on here we are doing an episode of fashion friends uh tonight we have mr hoboken slav with us slav are you there brother yes i am can you uh hear me you sound fucking great thank you very much for joining us tonight man how are you brother i'm doing good doing good i've got some good news i am uh about two weeks tobacco free I gave it up. So. Dude, wow. Yeah. That is, yeah. Uh, so tobacco-free, uh, does that mean nicotine-free completely or just tobacco-free? No, no, I, I'm still using some, some nicotine patches just to get through the uh, Hey, no, hey, urges, at least but, you're not smoking, no. though, yeah. Uh, congratulations, yeah. bro. That's not yeah. an easy, uh, it's not an easy mountain to, to climb. I'm yeah. still, you know, I started vaping thinking that I, it would uh, be a step down program to step me down mm-hmm. off of cigarettes. 
and now I enjoy vaping more than I ever enjoyed smoking cigarettes. Yeah. So now I've just got a worse fucking problem. Because <laughs> yeah. now it's like cigarettes that taste good, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Fuck. My my, uh, 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 my addiction was was actually dipping. Um, so I was uh, I'd been pretty much dipping on and on from about sixteen to late twenties, and then I in my thirties, like, I don't want to be too specific about my age, but, uh, the last yeah. se- several years I've been like a can would last me about two days. Uh, so it was that for about eight years. So yeah, it's been pretty tough to, to give it up, but I finally I- just like, I-, I had to because, uh, uh, it does after eight solid years, like, uh, yeah, you do start to have some dental issues. So, I was like, okay, I've I've, I've got to stop, or else I'm going to lose the like the right side of my bottom Oof. jaw. Oof, yeah, that's rough. Yeah, shit. yeah, I never had a real. Uh, I never got into dipping. I never could get past the the fucking taste of it. I did uh, one time have an inter- encounter um, with some tequila sunrise flavored chew chewing tobacco. And that fucking pretty much ruined me on any sort sort of oral tobacco products ever again in my life. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, real quick, man, before we get into it, guys, tonight this is actually all uh, Slavs doing. By the way, guys, I can take no credit uh, for the content that we got here tonight. Amazing fucking story. I had never heard of this. It's absolutely fucking insane. Uh, yeah. But we're gonna get into it here in a minute. All right, here we go, guys. So tonight. We are going to be talking about Mark Essex, the NOLA sniper. Uh, so, Slav, I, th- I figured we would start with this American Renaissance thing, man. It's a really good overview. It'll be something quick we can knock out real fast. Uh, and then, you know, it gives everybody a feel for what we're doing. But then I think we're, uh, I want to go through and use this uh, crime magazine thing as the basis. You know, I was going to make fucking notes uh, and, like, just pull out, uh, you know, what time everything started, who we shot, where, and all that shit. But uh, as I was going back and forth between the crime magazine article and the actual archived article from uh, the, the New York Times... Uh, You kind of have to use them in conjunction, right? Because there's some weird shit that they mention that happened, uh, you know, around that time in the New York Times article that's not really mentioned much in the in the crime magazine article. And uh, so I think we're going to use them both, man. Yeah, yeah. No, there is. uh, There's still. There's. I mean, it's not a lot of conspiracies. There's one conspiracy about this, and that uh, Mark Essex may not have been. He, he may not have acted alone. He may have had a couple of accompli- accomplices, but um, unfortunately, we, we don't really know. Um, a lot of that, frankly, is due to the fact that all those uh, official police records and and even some of the, uh, the, the New Orleans paper, their records hadn't been transferred over digitally. And in 2005, you had Hurricane Katrina run uh, roll through, and that that destroyed a lot of New Orleans history and official records. So we don't really know how, what the official ruling of, of, of the police department was at the time. But yeah, there's a lot of speculation that there, he may have had an accomplice. Um, and there is a little bit like, there's a couple of YouTube videos. Uh, 
maybe we'll watch, but there's a lot of people are confused on, on the events. They think that um, when the police go up there and they start shooting everywhere, they're actually shooting at Mark Essex, but he had in fact already been killed uh, the night before that they, they think that they're shooting at the, his accomplice, but they didn't find anybody up there, but no, let's go ahead and get started yeah, on the, the and speaking. Yeah, and speaking to that real quick before we get started, uh, there's so much confusion around that aspect of this, of whether or not this was uh, just one man or multiple shooters, that I even saw a 48-minute documentary about, well, I'm assuming it's about this because it's in New Orleans, it's in 1972 or 3 or whenever, and they are talking about three Black Panthers, right? When the Black Panthers had a shootout with the police, and they're in this documentary, they're like showing, like they're talking about three people being there. So there's a lot of confusion about how many people were there, but yeah, we're going to jump right into it. So here we go, from American Renaissance, it says, Africa greets you, the anti-white terrorism of Mark Essex. A black military veteran uses a high-powered rifle to target white police officers. Like a well-trained shooter, he knows that aiming for center mass is an efficient takedown, but a headshot is a guaranteed kill. His one-man war against the police department is to broadcast to millions of American homes. Black citizens cheer him on, convincing the silent majority that a race war in a major, in a major southern city is possible. You probably think this is a description of last summer's ambush in Dallas. The shooter, a former member of the U.S. Army Reserve who served in Afghanistan, used a Saiga AK-74 I'm sorry, rifle, a civilian version of the standard-issue Russian Army rifle, to kill five police officers who were providing security for a Black Lives Matter rally before being killed by a remote-controlled bomb. Micah X. Johnson told police negotiators that he wanted to kill white people. Such killings are nothing new. The first paragraph describes the massacre committed by Mark Essex, a 23-year-old ex-military black man who used a Ruger 44 carbine and a 38 caliber pistol to kill nine people between December 31st, 1972 and January 7th, 1973. Five were members of the New Orleans Police Department. Then, as now, he blamed police officers, especially white officers, for systemic racism. Born and raised in Emporia, Kansas, Essex lived a fairly ordinary life. Emporia was only 2% black during his childhood. Like most mass murders, he was described as a loner. In 1969, after graduating from high school and a very brief stint in college, Essex joined the U.S. Navy. The war in Vietnam was still very hot, but Essex, who served as a dental technician, never went overseas. Not long after joining the fleet, Essex began complaining that white peers and white petty officers made his life extremely difficult. At the Naval Air Station in Imperial Beach, California, Essex provoked a fight with a white superior. Essex wrote letters back home complaining about white, raci- white racism. He grew his hair long and ran afoul of military grooming standards. He started reading about the Black Panthers and other militant black organizations. Whether, whether real or imagined, Essex encountered with racism in the Navy and not, in, or inculcated, him, I'm sorry, inculcated him in a hatred for all white people. And there's a picture of him in the Navy. After just two years, Uncle Sam kicked Essex out of the service with his general discharge. Officially, Essex was considered unsuited for the Navy due to character and behavior disorders. Once again a civilian, Essex drifted around America. He briefly joined the Black Panthers and lived for a while in San Francisco and New York before finally settling in New Orleans. New Orleans had mostly been spared the anarchic violence of the civil rights era. However, the city was hardly a multiracial paradise. Black Panthers and anti-war demonstrators numbered in the hundreds, if not thousands. 
In December of 1972, Essex mailed a note to WWL-TV, a local broadcasting station, warning about an attack on New Orleans the Police Department for New Year's Eve. Uh, oh, here we go. This was his letter. Let's see if we can get his letter pulled up here. Oh, God, this is another long-ass fucking... <laughs> That's another one. We'll get to that later. Uh, that's another long no. ass order. Huh? Go ahead. No, uh, no his, his letter is, is, is in the Hammerin article. It's only like a paragraph. Okay. Yeah. It, 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 it's right. Oh, here it is. Yeah, I see. Okay, yeah. okay, I see. Yeah, right here. Africa greets you. On December 31st, night, December 31st, 1972, approximately 11 p.m., the downtown New Orleans Police Department will be attacked. Reason? Many, but the death of two innocent brothers will be avenged, and many others. P.S. Tell Big Giarusso the felony action squad ain't shit. Mata. I guess Mata is his name. The sign off Mata was what Essex had begun calling himself, yeah. Meaning Hunter's Bow <laughs> in Swahili. Giarusso referred to Clarence B. Giarusso, the police chief at the time. True to his word, Essex drove to Peredito Street and waited for NOPD officers to leave the nearby station on December 31st, 1972. He shot a black, a black police cadet, Alfred Harrell, to death and wounded Lieutenant Horace Perez. Uh, that would be the only black dude he kills the entire time. Uh, and people are suspect. I, when I read an article that said they suspected the reason he shot him is because he suspected he thought he was an Uncle Tom, basically, right? Uh, because he was part of the police officers or the police force, he just went ahead and killed him. Uh, Essex fled the scene and broke into a warehouse in Girttown, a black neighborhood where anti-cop prejudice ran high. Responding officers had no idea that the break-in was in related. Just one second. Okay. Responding officers had no idea that the break-in was related to the murder of Harold and Perez. Canine officer Ed uh, Hosley. Hosley Sr. There we go. Ed, Ed Hosley Sr. was investigating the warehouse at South Gayoso and Ephrosine Streets when Essex shot him in the back. Hosley died from his wounds two months later. Six days after the New Year's Eve, or six days after New Year's Eve, Essex shot and killed a white grocer who had told the police about him and Essex, then stole. Shot a white grocer who had told him about him. Then Essex stole a car and promised its owner he did not want to kill black people like him, just honkies. On January 7th, Essex invaded Howard Johnson Hotel at uh, 330 Loyola Avenue. Yeah, yeah, these fucking names are rough. Loyola Avenue. Yeah. Essex raced up an emergency staircase to the 18th floor. The first employees he saw were black maids. He told them not to worry. He was here to kill white people. Essex entered room 1829, found a white couple, Dr. Robert Stiegel and his wife Betty. Essex killed them both and then used lighter fluid and phone books to set the room's curtains on fire. Essex eventually moved towards the roof. Along the way, he killed hotel assistant manager Frank Schneider and shot general manager Walter Collins, who died three weeks later. From the rooftop, Essex fired on uh, New Orleans police officers who tried to use fire ladders to get into the building, into the burning building. Here, more police officers would die from 44 caliber rounds. Officers Philip Coleman and Paul Presigio were shot and killed while taking cover in Duncan Plaza. D 
Deputy Superintendent Louis Sergo received a fatal wound to his spine while trying to rescue pinned down officers. Police finally borrowed a Marine Corps C borrowed a Marine Corps CH forty six helicopter to pour down fire on Essex. The two sides exchanged rounds for a time, but after he died, investigators found that Essex had been shot over two hundred times. After looking and failing to find a second uh, sniper, New Orleans police officers found Essex's apartment on Dryad Street. Inside, the walls were covered in anti-white graffiti. Most of the words were nonsensical phrases borrowed from Swahili and other African languages. Essex, it seems, thought of himself as a resurrected Mau Mau warrior fighting white settlers. <laughs> uh, following Essex's death, blacks militants were, quickly to, were quick to praise him. Stokely Carmichael said that Essex carried out our struggle to the next quantitative level, the level of science. <laughs> More frightening was the real-time, on-the-ground reaction of the New Orleans black citizenry. This is what was real. This is one of the things that really stood out to me as well. When they realized that Essex was targeting white people, they roared right on. These are the the direct ancestors of the Black Lives Matter movement. And allying themselves with the Black Panthers and other militant black organizations, the American left is turning more people into the likes of Mark Essex. 1973 was a terrible year for white America. Besides the crimes of Mark, Mark Essex, San Francisco's zebra killers were killing white police officers and butchering white civilians, while white and black leftists cheered them on. The, zebra killed, the zebras killed 14 people, but you have probably never heard of them <clears throat> probably never heard of them. Essex held a city in complete terror for weeks, and you probably never heard of him either. Forgetting such history makes whites vulnerable to the next attack. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there were there were 43 years in between Mark Essex and uh, Micah Johnson in Dallas. I mean, it, it's not going to be 43 years before you have another type of uh, shooter uh, like this guy at all. Uh I mean, and the pattern is the same. I mean, Essex had been, uh, you know, by all accounts, he he was a a pretty nice kid from uh, the Midwest, didn't have a whole lot of issues growing up, was never in trouble, and then goes off the Navy. I mean, it's his first time away from home. He's getting tested to become a man. He obviously fails that test um, and then gets kind of dropped out of the Navy and gets radicalized by, you know, black supremacist propaganda and he snaps and he goes on a murder spree. Micah Johnson is the same way. He got, he was radicalized by, by the BLM movement and, and, and by the mainstream media. Yeah, a hundred percent. But you know, a, not even a part of me, it's my opinion that it doesn't, you don't necessarily have to radicalize these people. You know, uh, radicalization, when it comes to, like, uh, black people being radicalized against whites, uh, is something that's inherent to them, right? It's natural, right? They already naturally have resentment towards us. So these, uh, this ideological puppetry that they engage in, because that's all it is, right? These people have never, uh, you know, created any political ideology in and of themselves, right, on their own. So all they're doing, they're, they're you know, it's ideo- ideological puppetry. They puppet, uh, you know, um, basically Mao, right? They they puppet the communism of like Mao Zedong, right? Those are the that's, that's usually the kind of communism they fall under, right? These Black Panthers and shit like that. So they puppet 
you know, uh, um, political ideologies and frameworks that have been created by, you know, other peoples, not necessarily white people, but other peoples, right? Because they're not capable of doing it on their own. And those things just feed in to their natural hatred for white people, right? They have a natural uh, resentment towards us. It doesn't have to be taught, right, is what I'm saying. Yeah. But yeah, it's sure. insane. It's insane um, that you've. I've never. I mean, just you know, this is a quick question to the chat. Has anybody in the chat ever heard of this? Uh, I had never heard. Uh, you know, you would think that, and maybe you did hear about this. Maybe this uh, article popped up. I guess obviously around the time of the Michael Johnson, sh- Michael Johnson shooting. No, I no, I, uh, I, I actually. Here, here's how I heard of this story, and and you know, we'll we'll, we'll get into. Why was there uh, a helicopter pilot later involved in this story? But the uh, helicopter pilot um, who helped uh, in this situation, uh, he was in the Marine Corps. He actually he uh, retired from the Marine Corps in 1990. And actually, it was last February of, of 2020. He uh, he passed away at the age of 84. And I, I, I still had a Facebook account at the time. And I just saw this this story just pop up that said um, Marine Corps pilot who helped end uh, New Orleans sniper passes away. And I clicked on the story and I was reading the article about the guy. And then at the very bottom, I mean, the very bottom, they gave a description of Mark Essex was a Black Panther, uh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, OK, th- let me check up. I, you know, it was, it was yeah, what the fuck's going pill. on here? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah the, the red pills never stopped. So I only heard about it because one of the, uh, I'm the pilot who helped in this situation passed away last year or else I had, I would have never heard about this. I mean, you know, yeah. and I, I know we're getting, you know, we're only half an hour into your show and we're, I've, I've already got to do the, what if the roles were reversed, but my goodness, like, if they were reversed, that's there funny. Be movies, there'd be everything about this. <laughs> that's funny because that's exactly where I was about to go. That's exactly what I was about to say. I was going to say when people see like the magnitude of the carnage that this dude was causing, because we're about to play some of those videos uh, that you sent me as well. Uh, when people see the magnitude of the carnage this dude caused, uh, it's insane that, like you said, there isn't like movies made about it. Like this isn't like taught in school. Right, like uh, like Kent State and shit, right? Because the white guy shot up Kent State. It's like taught in school. You learn about Kent State in school. You don't learn about this motherfucker in school. I've never heard about this. You know what I mean? Nope. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those things. But uh, let's get over here. Uh, I'm gonna start with this uh, Crime Magazine article. Um. Uh, actually, real quick here. Speaking of the carnage, let's play this right here. Here's a little uh, a quick two minute clip. We can play right here. This is uh, from the day of the shooting right here, guys. It began as a general alarm fire at the Howard Johnson's Motel in downtown New Orleans, but within minutes it turned into a battlefield. One of the first firemen on the scene setting up a fire hose was wounded in the arm. That's when police and firemen realized they had a sniper on their hands. Hundreds of off-duty policemen were called in, armed with high-powered rifles and shotguns. Police sharpshooters were stationed high on rooftops of nearby office buildings, which surround the Howard Johnsons. And as this unbelievable Sunday progressed, there were seven major gun battles between the police and the sniper. This is how it looked.
fucking nuts. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and most of those cops, like, uh, are only armed with revolvers and shotguns. Uh, in yeah. fact, yeah. Look, but it's, even with that it's really tragic, hour, man. Like, it, when you read the story, it talks about guys just peeking up over their cars and getting their uh, fucking head blown it, uh, off. One of the cops sad. went back in the yeah. middle of the field, yeah. I don't know why, just to see what... He, he, he was just standing there in the middle of the field looking up at the flames and everything. We heard a couple of shots sound like firecrackers. Next thing we know, he's on the ground lying down and he's screaming he can't move his legs or his arms. So I ran out in the middle of the field and they brought an they called for an ambulance. Police atop every building offering any type of vantage point fired at the sniper with high-powered rifles and machine guns and he fired back occasionally with his high-powered rifle. Only one police officer with a high-powered scope could actually see the sniper from time to time, but he was stationed atop the federal building a block away and was unable to get a good shot. Then night began to close in, and police knew they were losing even the little visual contact they had. By that time, it had become apparent there was probably more than one sniper, and perhaps even three. No one knows who they are, except that one of them is a young black man armed with a 44 Magnum rifle. It was only a week ago today that a similar attack was carried out on police headquarters in New Orleans by a sniper armed with the same type rifle. A combat-equipped Marine helicopter was called into the night search effort to return sniper fire, offering a scene as fittingly incredible as the story has been all day long, a story of a horrible, bloody Sunday in downtown New Orleans. This is the concrete cubicle into which the helicopter was firing, and if you watch these films closely, you can see one of the snipers run out and be gunned down by police fire. I'd have to watch that like 12 times to see, see, see where that's at. And can be heard shouting power to the people. Yeah, in, in, uh, in, uh, when I was reading over the material again in preparation for the show, I actually learned that this incident was what caused, uh, uh, the New Orleans Police Department to get a SWAT team for the first time. At, at the time, the only agencies in the country that had a SWAT were New York, Chicago, and L.A. Huh. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely fucking insane. The dude absolutely laid waste. And then he heard right there, even in this uh, news report here, they were talking about they couldn't tell if there was one or, or more snipers, right? <laughs> so there's a quick uh, little overview of, of, of kind of what it looked like. We've got another thing here. As a matter of fact, I can probably... Just play this silently in the background. Let it play. Oh, no, I can't because I'll be reading from this. Never mind. Here we go. All right. So, um, and if you want to read any of this, you're welcome to, man. I'll start off there and you can jump in if you want. Uh, so here sure. we go. New Year's Eve, 1972, the horror begins, filled with rage and, ra and racist hatred against whites. Mark James, Jimmy, Robert Essex had sworn revenge for both personal and historical wrongs residing in New Orleans at the time his determination to exact revenge reached a boiling point. He chose New Year's Eve 1972 as his moment. On that day, Essex parked his car close to the New Orleans Police Department. He hid in a parking lot across from Central Lockup. He aimed his Ruger 44 Magnum carbine and shot two men, both of them in the force. Cadet Alfred Harrell, 19, died from his injuries and Lieutenant Horace Perez survived. Ironically, in the view of his racist of the racist purpose the, that XX had stated in his writings, the reason for his crime, Harold was black. 
Perhaps Essex viewed the young police cadet as a sellout to, to the white system. It is also possible that this one murder was simply a mistake because Essex saw the blue uniform and failed to note the skin color. If it was a mistake, Essex did not make another. All the rest of his victims were people of fair skin, either white or like Perez, Hispanic. As police began to chase Essex, he set off diversionary firecrackers, jumped a chain-link fence, and ran across Highway I-10. Essex ran into New Orleans, into a New Orleans area called Girt Town, a high-crime black area. He broke into, a Burkhart, into the Burkhart Building, a combination warehouse and manufacturing plant. His entry triggered an alarm that alerted police to the break-in. A K-9 unit consisting of officers Edwin Hossley Sr. and Harold Blappert. <laughs> That's a funny fucking name, Harold Blappert. <laughs> that sounds like a. That sounds like you know, like Paul Blart. That sounds like a fucking. <laughs> that sounds like a name you would give a fucking. You know? <laughs> Old fucking Blappert over there couldn't catch the toad, huh? <laughs> So here we go. Uh, officers Edwin Hosley Sr. and Harold Blappert responded to what they considered to be a routine burglary. As Officer Ho Hosley went to get his German Shepherd out of the back seat of the car, Essex shot him in the back. More bullets shattered the car's windshield. Blackbert, or Blappert ducked down and called for backup, informing dispatch that an officer was down. Blappert then fired four shots at the spot where he saw muzzle flashes from Essex's rifle. He pulled Hosley onto the front seat of the car and waited for reinforcements. When backup arrived, they sent two dogs into the building to search for Essex, but Essex had fled. Hosley died on March 5th, 1973. So this is before the actual, uh, you know, uh, standoff and shootout happened. This is, uh, yeah. yeah, this is like, what, a week before, I guess? So this is, yeah, the, yeah this is the and second and uh, third. Go ahead. Yeah, and it, uh, I was going to say that that warning letter he mailed, he mailed that to a uh, 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 one of the TV stations there uh, in, in New Orleans, and they unfortunately did not open it until two days after uh, the shooting happened because it was New Year's Eve and and the mailman uh, would, uh, was off work. So they, they they opened the package on on January third. Mm. Uh, okay, real quick. Uh, never surrender. Thank you for the host, brother. And ferocious chihuahua. I seen your message about uh, the cash app thing. Uh, I'll try to do that during break and see if I can get that set up. If not during break, I'll definitely get it set up. I didn't ever even think of that, or really, I don't really even know what it is. But I'll check it out for sure. Uh, all right. There we go. There we go. There we go. Where are we at? I'll I'll read this uh this next part. So yeah, we're at on January second. Yep, right on. Okay, on January second, a man called police. He claimed a man with a bloody bandage on his hand had recently made a purchase at a grocery store owned by Joseph Pershid Nicario. Apologize to the Italians. I don't know how to pronounce Italian names. Uh, Persinicario, maybe I don't know. It's they're all fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Persinicario. Uh, <laughs> the uh, the caller claimed the man had paid for the purchase with a twenty dollar bill. Now, when I was uh, I I read this article last year, but when I reread this in preparation, and I read purchase with a twenty dollar bill, I immediately thought of George Floyd. <laughs> like, oh my God, history repeated itself. Because Floyd, the the whole reason the cops were called on Floyd was because he tried paying with a counterfeit twenty dollar bill. 
Yeah. Like, like, um, what is it with these people? The police officer advised the caller to, quote, bring all 20s from the cast register to the station. Earlier that, that evening, Joseph, I'm just going to call him Joseph, acquaintance Charles Willis and a 14-year-old stock worker, Daryl Davis, went to the police station. They repeated the story Willis had told over the phone. Now, what's interesting is that they don't list what the race of Charles Willis and Daryl Davis are, because if it's a black, I'm just going to assume that uh, Willis and Davis are both uh, black men. Um, On Sunday, January 7th, 1973, the morning of of the shooting, Essex emerged from hiding with his rifle. On Sunday, January 7th, 1973, Essex emerged with his rifle. Somehow he had learned of Pernicina Caro's going to the police about him. He entered the store, pointed the rifle at him, and announced, You're the one I want. Come here. The grocer turned to flee. Essex shot him and left and left the grocery. Pernicina Caro survived. As he was being rushed to the hospital, a black man named Marvin Albert was warming up his in his car a few blocks away. Hey brother, Essex said, pointing a rifle at him. Get out. Are you crazy? Albert exclaimed. I don't want to kill black people today. Just honkies, Essex said. I don't want to kill you, but I will kill you. Albert exited his car. Essex drove to the downtown Howard Johnson. Okay, okay. Essex drove to the <laughs> downtown. Yeah. Drove the downtown Howard Johnson Hotel at 330 Lola Avenue, a four-lane boulevard separated by a grassy medium. Uh, if anybody's on their phone and they're listening to this, if you want to Google uh holiday in new orleans it the howard johnson is now the the holiday inn and it's really close to the superdome it's it's probably pulls up as howard johnson 330 uh uh the loya avenue or i'm sorry the the holiday inn um but that if you want to pull that up on your phone and and view at it from the satellite that'll give you a really good idea of what uh Essex saw uh, from the rooftop. Constructed in the 1960s, the hotel stood 17 stories high. There was no 13th floor. Its lobby, reservations, business office, and a resident and a restaurant and bar were on the ground floor. The second through the seventh floor served as a parking garage. There was a pool clerk and patio on the back of the building on the eighth floor. The sides of the hotel. Okay. Get more down to the rampant part. Sides of the hotel were bordered by uh, Gravier Street and per- Perdido Street. The street at the back of it was South Rampart. Duncan Plaza, a grassy of oak-, oak trees, was across from the hotel. A government office complex bordered Duncan Plaza, City Hall, the Louisiana Sup- Supreme Court, a state office building, and a main branch of the New Orleans Public Library library were also in that complex. After arriving at the hotel, Essex drove into the parking garage on the fourth floor and left the car there. Then he climbed a fire stairwell into the 18th floor. They left out some of the, uh, surprisingly, some of the details. I think it's in the New York Times article, but he he kept going uh, to from floor to floor just to find uh, a door that was unlocked. Uh, there was actually an un well. I, I think it was locked by by the chain, um, so he opened it, and a black maid came in there, saw him, 
And he kept trying to like, hey, sister, uh, let me in. The revolution's about to begin or something like that. And she, she just shut the door on him. Uh, so he kept yeah. going up. I've yeah. seen that in other things where he kept, he, apparently he kept saying that, like he kept screaming about the revolution and every time he saw black people, he would like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Here, they here, mentioned here, a little bit here on this next part. I'll take over this. Uh, I want the whites part here. We'll switch off okay. uh, each heading. So they've got okay. these little headings here. We'll just switch off. Each Sounds heading. good. S- Sounds good. All right. Uh, holy shit. Now where am I? I've lost it. Okay. I want the whites. Three black hotel employees saw a man with a rifle down the hallway. Seeing their fear, Essex tried to reassure them. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Essex tried to reassure them. Don't worry. I'm not going to hurt you black people. I want the whites. The maids (laughs) ran into a hotel room and locked the door behind them. A white man named Robert Stiegel, on a honeymoon with his wife Betty, opened the room door. Saw a man holding a rifle. Robert screamed and rushed him. Essex shot Robert Stiegel in the chest. Betty Stiegel screamed and knelt beside her wounded husband. Oh, oh, oh. Get over here. And cradled his head in her arms. Jimmy shot Betty in the back of her head. Both Stiegels soon died. Essex walked into the room which the Stiegels had been staying. He poured lighter fluid on telephone books and set them afire. He left, dropped a pan-African flag beside the bodies of the Steagles. Or I'm sorry, yeah. as he as he left, I'm sorry, as he left, he dropped a pan-African flag yeah. beside the bodies of the yeah. Steagles. Uh, what is a pan-African flag? It is. Is, a, is that just the one it, with the red, black, and green in the yeah in the continent yeah. on it? Yeah, yeah, okay. it's the red, black, and green, and and, and this is where I got to stop you because this really is the most shocking. Uh, and infuriating detail of this whole story. I mean, he he executes this couple at point blank range, range uh, lights their hotel room on fire, and he drops a, uh, a the Black Liberation flag by their bodies. And, and this is the part where, like, you you have to do if the races were reversed. Like, this guy was a fucking member of the Black Panthers. Now, if this had been a fucking Klansman who had executed. Uh, a black newlywed couple, which, which the Steagles were. They were new, newlyweds. They were on their honeymoon. If that had been a Klansman who did that to a black newlywed couple and he left the Confederate flag by their bodies, like, it's it's so fucking infuriating that I, I never heard of this. And this country's never heard of this story. And it's just classic, like, everything that these people are is projected onto us. I'm yeah. sorry, I just had to. No, no, you're right. And the tragedy of it, like, it really did kind of hit me in the gut when I read about this because, like, the way they died, right? She falls to the ground, grabs her husband's head, and she's holding him, and then, like, he kills them, and they're, like, in each other's arms. They die in each other's arms. He executes them in each other's arms. It's fucking horrific. Yeah, man. yeah. Absolutely fucking horrific, man. Uh, While Essex was going through the hotel, a maid rushed into the lobby through tears she exclaimed there's a black boy upstairs he's got a gun oh lord do something front office manager frank schneider a bell and a bell worker donald roberts headed upstairs to investigate the elevator automatically stopped on the 11th floor and the door opened as schneider and roberts stepped into the hallway a maid ran past screaming he's got a gun they saw essex he pointed the rifle at them and the two white men raced for a stairwell they heard shots and schneider fell dead 
Uh, I'm wondering about the uh, validity of two white men. Sounds like we might have one white man there and then a Schneider. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> I, I, I did look up the uh, I, I did look up the Steagles. They are not Jewish. Uh, you can find a picture of their gravesite of, 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 of their tombstone and it does have a cross on it. So they the Steagles uh, were not Jewish. Well, I was talking they about Schneider. Schneider. Is yeah. Schneider yeah. Jewish. Yeah, Snyder's a joke. Yes. All right. When I see yeah. when I see uh, letters arranged in that man, when I read <laughs> letters arranged in that manner, there's too many E's and I's in there. Yeah. <laughs> I start thinking Jew, right? Uh, shit. Front office manager. Okay. Okay. Ba 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 ba. Okay. Uh, Snyder fell dead. Half his head blown off. Roberts kept running down the stairwell. He got to an elevator. Then he ran out of the hotel. Found the phone and called police. The hotel's general manager, Walter Collins, told other employees he was going upstairs to find out what's going on. A maid shouted, don't do it, Mr. Collins. Don't go up there. Ignoring this sensible advice, Collins enlisted maintenance worker Luciano Lovett to accompany him. At the eighth floor, Collins opened the door. Fiercely hot smoke billowed out, and he slammed it shut. They went to the ninth. It was smoky, but not as bad, so Lovett went down the hallway, banging on doors. Collins continued and got off at the 10th floor. He saw Essex and the rifle. Essex shot Collins, then Essex left that floor. Collins dragged himself along the floor. He got close to a hotel room door and could go no further. The couple in that room, Harold and Helen Balson, saw him, Collins said, called, saw him, then Collins said, call the police and shut the door. Collins clung to life for three weeks before succumbing to his wounds in the hospital. Sirens blaring, cop cars and fire trucks raced to the hotel. Michael Burl, Michael Burl and Robert Childress were the first officers on the scene. They, they cleared the lobby and then walked into the elevator. They stopped at every floor and looked down the hall. At the 16th floor, they encountered an elderly black woman waiting for the elevator. Children said, this place is on fire. The woman answers, I know. I've seen him. He's shooting white people. The firefighters saw smoke seeping out from the hotel's windows. According to Peter Hemmen, the author of A Terrible Thunder, the story of the New Orleans sniper, Garrett County Press, 2010. Two or three people were standing at the farthest edge of a balcony on the ninth floor, so far out that they were leaning over the railing. They were screaming, and one of them was knotting sheets together. Firefighter Lieutenant Tim Urson decided to attempt a rescue. Hernan reports he strapped on a yellow air tank and began climbing. Two police officers, Bill Trapanger and Jack Uhl, followed Urson. Trappinger and Uhl planned to enter the building by ladder and come in above Essex to ambush him. Essex ran onto the balcony and shot Urson. Tappinger shot repeatedly at Essex. After slipping down the ladder a few rungs, the wounded Urson miraculously maintained his balance. Uhl brought the officer down. As soon as New Orleans <clears throat> Superintendent of Police Clarence Giarusso heard about the events at the Howard Johnson over his police transmitter, he rushed to the scene. He found approximately 100 police officers at the hotel. The police were shooting up and the sniper was shooting down. Several cops decided it was best to try to get above the sniper. They went up to the 10th floor. One of them was Officer Charles Arnold. The group, the group went into one of the rooms. They pushed open a window. Arnold recalled there was a shot, one shot, and I got it in the face. 
One of the other men screamed, he blew your face off. <laughs> this is this is pretty amazing right here, uh, the balls on this dude. The wounded officer was ironically reassured by his exclamation, I guess I'm still alive. <laughs> so this guy gets yeah. his fucking face blown off. He looks out the window, gets his face blown off. Some dude's like, dude, he just blew your fucking face off. He's like, well, yeah, I guess I'm still alive. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's, I mean, that's a, that's a hell of a fucking glass half full way to be, huh? That's one fucking yeah. way to look at it, dude. I'm still breathing, bud. <laughs> Fuck yeah. me, man. Oh, uh, dude. I'll, I'll take over the rest from here. Uh, do you want to pull up uh, that the New Orleans newspaper link I sent you that has pictures of it to show the audience? Cause yeah, these I've pictures got it right here. Just, yeah, they're, they're unbelievable. I'll take over the, uh, the reading. You're talking part. about the NOLA.com collection of photos? Yeah, yeah. Yep. All right. Yeah. Take off. They're, they're, I'll, I'll, yeah. You take off, and I'll just slowly scroll through here, man. Okay. To the noise of continued shooting, Charles Arnold walked out of the hotel to seek help. Robert Beamish, 43, was a California broadcasting executive. The TV in his hotel room went out. He heard what he recalled, quote, sounded like explosions. Deciding it was time to leave, he gathered his possessions into a suitcase. He exited the room through a patio door with some of the luggage and saw a young black man close to the swimming pool. Thinking the man was a fellow guest, Beamish was about to say hi when he saw the rifle. The bullet caught him in the gut. He felt like he'd been rammed through with a, quote, red-hot poker. He made an enormous splash as he fell into the pool. He sta stayed there for two hours before being rescued. So the man was shot by uh, Mark Essex uh, in, the, uh, in the area close to the pool. He was shot in the gut and basically played dead for, uh, for about two hours. Uh, that had to be just... I, I can't imagine the kind of pain. Although I did, I did read that that he felt that he wasn't in as much pain as he thought he would be for 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 having been shot in the gut. But it's it's a miracle, like the man didn't bleed out there in in the pool. Anyway, onlookers surrounded the hotel, staring up, trying to see the sniper. Officers warned them to stay away, but the gawking crowds increased, knowing that the sniper. Sniper's targets were whites, and understanding his hatred all too well, some black onlookers greeted the sniper rifle's shots with enthusiastic cries of, right on. It fucking pisses yeah. me off so fucking bad, dude. Yeah, yeah, no, Could I Could you imagine know. that, dude? I think they would literally start concentration camps for white people if something like that was... If some fucking uh, white dude was to fucking freak out, and imagine, like, if the dude at, um, uh... Vegas, right? The Vegas shooter. What was his name? Uh, uh, Pavic. Paddock, or whatever yes. the fuck his name was. Imagine if that dude was Stephen only shooting Paddock, blacks. Yes. Yeah, imagine if he was only shooting blacks and everybody at that concert was like, Fuck yeah, buddy! Uh, they would literally hunt those people down one by one with facial recognition and fucking gulag their ass, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, oh, I mean, I, I, th this whole situation is just... It, insane, it's infuri yeah, infuriating. As police officer Kenneth, Kenneth Solis tried to disperse the crowd, a bullet went into his right shoulder and exited his rib cage. Partner carried Solis to the shade of a, of a nearby tree. I believe that picture is in those. Um, I think that's it. that picture is in there. It's the one where there's a uh, the officer who was shot is laying dead by the patrol car. 
and uh, yeah, we two just other showed offices. that a minute ago. Yeah, I'll pull back yeah. up to it. It's right yeah. here. Yeah, there's a black dude and two officers laying by the tree next to him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, where was they at? Sergeant Emmanuel Pomacino raised Solisi's aid. The would-be rescuer was shot and fell. Was shot and fell to the ground. Police officer Philip Coleman had no sooner left his vehicle than Essex bullet found him. He fell close to the tree where Solis rested. Okay, actually, that that picture we just looked at was was Philip Coleman, uh, because there, there's a tree next to it, uh, next to Solis. Police officer. Meanwhile, police interviewed one of the black maids whom Essex had told not to be scared because he was only quote shooting whites. The woman, Beatrice Greenhouse, added, he kept saying, it's a revolution. Officer Paul Procigio saw someone running towards the building and warned, and warned, there's a sniper, get back. No sooner were the words out of his mouth than Procigio himself was hit. The bullet caught him right in the mouth and he was killed. A firefighter was startled to see a man walking with a civil defense helmet on his head. You're going to get shot, the firefighter shouted. Get down. The helmeted man got down because Essex's bullet shattered his arm close to the shoulder. A driver and attendant for Kagan's ambulance services hurried over to the man and put him on a stretcher. The sniper shot again and hit the driver, Chris Canton, in the back. Deputy Chief Luis Sergio and police officers Jules Kilea were going to what they thought could be what they, what they could of the hotel when they encountered a black woman, Carrie May Clemens, in a room. She had seen Essex, quote, he said, you all go ahead, I ain't killing you black people. That didn't stop my fright. When you're looking down a gun barrel, you don't know who he's gonna kill. So uh, th throughout his rampage, I mean, if he's coming up on a black person, he's just telling them, go, go. I I'm, I'm not kill killing black people today. And Look, I don't blame these people for being scared shitless. Most most of these people were probably uh, hotel staff. There were women. I mean, not like they're going to be able to disarm him. But, I mean, if there was a black guy. I, I, yeah, just, black people yeah. know how dangerous yeah. a black man with a gun is. <laughs> they know all too well. Yeah, 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 that's true. Uh, the, the, pair, the pair also found a male guest. Sergio and Kalea escorted Clemens and the man, man downstairs. Both worker and guests left, left the hotel. Okay, here. Okay, okay. I've been told the audience can't hear John, but let me finish this up. Um, because here, here's actually a, a, a kind of a... a dark moment of well, humor they right couldn't here. hear me on purpose brother they can hear me now i didn't want them to hear that but yeah go, go ahead uh, okay 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 we'll, we'll we'll finish it up here here's kind of a dark moment and then we could head head to break uh deputy chief uh, luis sergio tried to rescue officers who had become trapped essex sought sergio in the spine killing him almost instantly Although Sergio was a member of Essex's targeted race, his killing was somewhat ironic. Not really. Only a few months previously had given an address to a police organization in which he called America's treatment of its black citizens, quote, the greatest sin of American society. 
he continued, look closely at the area you are leaving for the police to handle. No, we can no longer hide our problems in prison cages or in federally subsidized low-rent housing development developments or in ghetto housing. I suggest what we begin to think about doing something about the responsibilities of the office of which we hold. And if we don't, then the problem, like a contagious disease, will destroy us. Well, so a, 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 yeah, so a, yeah, a white liberal, you know, uh, I can't help but, but think of the Joker moment, you know. Yeah, no. You get what you fucking meme. deserve. Yeah, premium meme hit it right hit it right on the head. I mean, toll fucking paid. You see this over and over and over again, man. Uh, you know, these people who carry water uh, for these minorities get fucking eaten alive by them. It's fucking, it's, it's, uh, it's poetry in motion, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, around 1 p.m., L- Lieutenant Jack Schnapp and his five officers arrived on the scene. Schnapp and some others slowly made their way from one landing to another. They reached a door that opened to the roof. It was shut and chained. Officer Larry Arthur kicked it open. As soon as this mission was accomplished, a bullet tore into his belly. Two men helped the wounded cop down the stairs. Garuccio radied, radioed that no one was to go up on the roof. So that's the police chief saying, ordering the the officers not to go up on the roof. After several minutes of silence, the sniper began shooting. Cops from the 17th floor returned fire. Sniper shooting stopped and the police followed suit. After a brief brief lull, Essex called up from the roof. Free Africa, come on up, pigs. A little while later, come on up, you honky pigs. Are you afraid to fight like a black man? Frustrated and angry, police officers repeatedly yell, fuck you. I'm sure they probably added, added a couple N-words there. Uh, Come on out, you honky motherfuckers, Essex screamed. What's the matter? Are you afraid you of scared pigs? of a black man, honky pig? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so basically, I mean, I mean, this this goes on and on, uh, and I know you want to take break, but basically, I mean, the cops are the Union he, he locked, he, yeah, yeah, he he locked the door. Um, the cops cannot get into it; they've been ordered to stand down. But he's just raining down terror, and the cops essentially do not have the firepower to take him out. They don't have the high points. Um, they they don't have uh, the firearms to take him from the ground. They're trying to get snipers up. I don't think him, a high. I don't think a, a a high point is the firearm they want, buddy. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm fucking with you. Yeah. I know what you mean. The yeah. high ground. I know. I'm fucking with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, so basically, they're kind of at a stand standstill. We can take the break here, and then this is where the uh, Marine Corps uh, helicopter pilot is, and then in the second hour, we can also discuss some of the uh conspiracy theories i don't think we need to go through this whole article because a lot of it after they get down to the facts basically just go into a little bit more of his background some of it's not really all that important yeah no i figured we'd yeah i figured we'd hit the we'd hit the you know overall of what happened on the case here get the numbers out there and then we're going to jump over to the New York Times thing and we may go if you have time uh we may go a little bit late tonight just to get all sure. of this covered but uh yeah, yeah, yeah this no, is a, this it's is a good, good one man yeah it is so all right fam we're going to go to break oh real quick before we do that let me jump over here to Trovo and see what we got here uh Nikolai Orlo Orlov yeah Orlov yeah Orlov thank you for the two stay safe so I appreciate you fam 
The Rock 2021 and Runes 14. Thank y'all very much for the stay safe. So I appreciate y'all, fam. Uh, Runes 14, thank you for the other stay safe. Thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate you. Uh, yeah, I guess it, the stream did drop out over on Trovo. It didn't drop out on uh, DLive, so I'm not sure why it did that. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, Danish Warrior, thank you very much for the stay safe. Uh, Always the Few says, what is wrong with us that we just accept this African terror? Uh, amen. Amen, brother. That reminds me a while back. Uh, I've talked about this a thousand times, but you may not have heard this story. So a while back, Boer Jack and I were doing a stream on his channel. And we were talking about the taking down of a Confederate statue by all these Africans. And, you know, he asked the rhetorical question. You know, it was definitely a, a, a rhetorical question. He asked, you know, he says, John, why do they do this shit? Why are they over there tearing down statues? Why are they over there, you know, burning your fucking cities to the ground? And I said, Jack, they're doing it because we let them. Right? That's the only fucking reason they do this shit. At the end of the day, they do it because we allow it. But thank you very much for the donation. I'm not really sure if 1,500 uh, gems, whatever those gems are. Thank you very much for that. I appreciate it. Uh, if anybody donated to me in Trovo before that, I'm sorry. That's as high as it goes. And my assistant is asleep. She is not, uh, she is not helping me out tonight. Uh, Skills and Sun, thank you for the... On fire times four. Thank you very much. I appreciate that family. E tree. Thank you for the uh, uh, stay safe. Thank you very much. Uh, never surrender. Thank you very much for the hype, brother. Daredevil's advocate. Thank you very much for the stay safe, brother. I appreciate it. Uh, all right, guys. Um, yeah, family. I hope y'all have been enjoying this one, man. This has been a really interesting one. I could not wait to do this as soon as uh. Slav sent all this shit to me, man. Uh, this is the kind of shit I love to talk about, man. These these stories like this that have gotten memory hold, that are extremely, extremely uh, fucked up. You know what I mean? Um, interesting stuff, and this information needs to be out there. But we're gonna go to break real quick, real quick, family, and uh, we'll see y'all in a minute. We often hear that we must pay for alleged wrongdoings of our imperial past by submitting to massive immigration into our homelands. This argument depends upon white guilt. Some of our people get a rush from indulging in ethnomasochism. But we can smash this politically correct charade simply by refusing to apologize for who we are. I'm not sorry for the colonization of indigenous peoples. After Europeans left, they went back to their third world ways. Moreover, these people create nothing new, except for dictatorship, cannibalism, poverty, and civil war. I'm not sorry for apartheid. After the native Africans took control, they slaughtered the whites in the area just as they did in Haiti. Have a look at what happened under Robert Mugabe. More whites were abducted and enslaved by Muslims than the number of blacks enslaved by whites. I'm not sorry for the Crusades. Our ancestors courageously fought to drive Islam out of Europe. If it weren't for their valor, our entire civilization would be under Islamic tyranny. I'm not sorry for imperialism. The Mongols built the largest empire in human history, but nobody suggests that they should be denied their sense of cultural and racial identity. The issue isn't that our ancestors were imperialists, it's that we were the best at it. We came, we saw, we conquered. Saudi Arabia insists that Europe should take in more refugees, when they're a rich oil state capable of housing millions of them. 
instead of importing their own kinsmen to their country, they offer to build mosques in Germany. Liberals will claim they're standing for human rights, but the minute you tell them whites have the right to self-determination, they scream, you're part of the problem, thereby embracing the cultural and demographic genocide of a race that has created the very civilization they take for granted. We're not sorry for what our ancestors did. We're not sorry for who we are today. No apologies, no regrets, no doubt, no compromise. We're not sorry. And we are back, family. Uh, yeah, let's get on to it here, man. So where were we at, brother? Uh, we were, we, we, we basically pretty much were, we're, we're, we're at a standstill. Uh, the, the new Orleans police have just determined that, that there's nothing they can do, uh, without getting up on that roof, but the chief doesn't want to send up, uh, a policeman up there. Um, I think that they're also trying to get snipers up to a higher building so that they can, uh, possibly get a shot. Um, but it's pretty much at this time. I mean, this has been picked up uh, by by TV stations in New Orleans, and in turn, has been picked up uh, nationally. So it was at this time that a Marine Corps uh, uh, officer, a helicopter pilot by the name of Chuck Pittman, who was a lieutenant colonel at the time, he was stationed at. Um, I can't remember. I can't find it. The uh, uh, the duty station. It's really close to uh, 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 New Orleans. Basically, it was just a uh, a naval base that uh, there was a small Marine Air Detachment too. They helped uh, assist uh, in the Coast Guard with like uh, if a ship went down out there in the Gulf, that they could go um, assist in in rescue missions. They could assist in New Orleans if there was a high rise fire. Um, and to, to, to help the, the fire department evacuate people from the top. Um, but the Lieutenant Colonel Chuck Pittman um, decided that uh, he had to do something about it. Let me find where I was at here. I completely messed up. But it, it was around this, this part. Yeah, okay. you'll see. It's real easy to find. It's right after fuck you, power to the people. Uh, yeah. Fuck you, okay. cracker. Power to the people. <laughs> yeah, it's right after that. So uh, I'll pick it up. Okay. And then you can okay. find you can find us where I'm at. So it says, United States Marine Corps Lieutenant General Chuck Pittman watched the carnage on TV. He offered the New Orleans Police Department the use of a CH-46 military helicopter. New Orleans police officials eagerly accepted. As night fell, Essex took cover in a concrete cubicle. In the morning, he left the protection of the cubicle and walked into the open air of the roof, and he fired at the helicopters. I think that's actually... Is that this one right here? Let's see. Let's keep this... Uh, let's watch this video here real quick. I think this is actually some video. I think we have some video of that shootout kind of happening right here. So let's watch this real quick, and then we'll get back into it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if there's a whole lot of audio with this video until yeah. the end, but but yeah, this, this this is keep in mind like this this whole thing started at about 11 a.m. and it's now night, uh, so it, this standoff lasted several hours, and I don't think the the heli the 
the helicopter pilot arrived until about three in the afternoon. I'm going to do something real quick. Let me grab this. I'm going to put this over here real fast. That way we can do these things simultaneously. There we go. All right. And then we go back here. Blow that up, and I'm going to keep reading as this plays. All right. Let me get back to where we was at. All right, here we go. Now we're back at it. As night fell, Essex took cover in the concrete cubicle. In the morning, he left the protection of the cubicle and walked into the open air of the roof. He fired at the helicopters. Police sharpshooters on the roof of nearby buildings and sharpshooters from the helicopter er, er, unleashed a barrage on Essex. He fell dead. The autopsy later showed that his slender body had received more than 200 gunshots. His morning action appeared deliberately and consciously suicidal. So there it is. Yeah. That's, uh, that's how it ended. It all ended with him being shot over 200 times and, and good. Right. Uh, so and here's the 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 like the basic recap. So it says here carnage counted and public reactions. Essex had mur at the end of it all. Essex had murdered nine people. Oh. Essex had murdered nine people. Five of them police officers. All save or all save Cadet Harold were either white or he or white or Hispanic. He seriously wounded ten other people. Uh, police fire had inadvertently wounded. <laughs> That's the fucking cops hurt almost as many people as him. <laughs> Holy fucking shit. The cops inadvertently wounded damn near as many people as this motherfucker did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were just sending oh, rounds down range, man. Fucking cops, dude. Holy fuck. All right, uh... So police fire had inadvertently wounded nine people. Um, uh, one person in the vicinity of the shootings has suffered a non-fatal heart attack. Uh, millions of dollars in financial loss to the state of uh, the city of New Orleans. Howard Johnson Hotel sustained d damage that required million dollars, millions of dollars of repair. Uh, in the aftermath of the shooting, uh, yeah, this is all just a bunch of bullshit here. Uh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. This is all shit we don't really care about. Uh, oh, God, what is that? All right. So, yeah. Oh, damn, I didn't mean that. Let's finish this little video up here. This is, uh, yeah, this guy, I guess these are the cops here on the side of the building. And I guess he's, o he's over here in this little, uh, let me unmute you. You had shit crinkling. He's over here in this little gray bunker, right? Uh, Well, no, actually, see. This is whole, uh, a big part of the, the confusion that we can talk about is that, um, like, he was killed by those cops in the uh, in the helicopter. And that happened oh, at that night. morning, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That next, in fact, if you pause it right there, you can see his body. It's in the bottom right corner. Um, you can probably see it in those photos. Uh, but Essex had been killed that night around 1 or 2 in the morning. Uh, but there was so much confusion about there being a possibly second or a third shooter that it wasn't until that next morning when the sun came back that they finally got permission to 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 break the chain and go up to the roof. So when they're up there, 
on the uh, roof, this footage right here that we're watching of these cops just just shooting. They what do you think say that there's body is. It's well, go to that the 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 link that has the historical photos, and okay. it's the very it's the very first picture, and you can see on on the bottom right, um, it yeah, it's at the top, the bottom right. Oh yeah, yeah, it's right here. Yeah, uh, can we see? Yeah. You can see my cursor. Yeah, so you guys can see my cursor on screen. Here's his body right here. Yeah, yeah, and at yeah. that time right there, the video that we're watching, they're standing right here. If you, you guys can see my cursor, they're standing right here under the Howard Johnson sign or word, the word Howard, basically, and that yeah. other uh, bunker that they were shooting at's off the picture here. So let's go back. Yeah. To that. So yeah. So so they thought there was a second guy, like ho, ho, uh, uh, in in that bunker. So they go up there. They just start shooting the place. I don't know why. But they just start shooting him. A lot of the cops, a lot of those people who got injured were were cops because they were shooting at concrete and there were chips of concrete flying everywhere. You can see like one of those cops in this video is like stumbling off. He acts like he got hit by a, a ricochet. Um, but you know they they finally gave the uh, ceasefire order. They opened up that bunker and they found nobody, and they tore that hotel apart. I mean, any space that a human, I mean, they went room to room, floor to floor, anywhere a human being could hide. They tore the at, the air ducts out. They tore up false ceilings, like in the, in the public areas, in the restrooms. They tore that hotel apart. They didn't find anybody. Um, so and wasn't so there reports yeah. from, uh, like, other witnesses that said they saw at least him with a woman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, okay. So, so basically, to give people just to just just to give people the idea that there may have been a second person, if you think about the timeline that this happened. So that morning, he has a confrontation with the uh, the grocery store guy. Uh, he 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 does not have a car. He 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 shoots the okay, grocery hey, store let me, guy. Okay. Hey, let me let me stop you real quick. No, I didn't mean to. I have a question. So. The confrontation with the grocery store guy, that is what actually kicks off the events of the day of the Howard Johnson shooting, right? Correct, yes. So the, the, the confrontation where he goes in and he, he's mad at the convenience store guy because he thinks the convenience store guy is going to rat on him for shooting the two cops. That yeah. is So from that point forward is the, the, the chaos, right? The, the, the parade. Y- yes, okay, yes. Right on. So, so he, he shoots the hotel or – the grocery store guy. He then flees on foot, and I looked up the the address of. I found on Google where where that that grocery store used to be, and then in that New York Times article, they give the exact address of Marvin Alberts. I put in it into Google. It's about a uh, half a mile or so. That well, well, probably not even that. I think it was about four or five blocks. It's probably like a quarter of a mile. But he, he runs a quarter of a mile. He carjacks Marv Alberts. Um, and then from there, he drives to the hotel. Now, think about this. Like, he, he's only got his... Where does he, he pick up all this ammo that he needs to sustain, like, a 10-hour-long a shootout? Where does he get the chain and the lock to, to lock the door to the roof? The speculation is that... Somebody had rented a room for him or somebody was there and left it for him, had provided him all this ammo because he didn't have a backpack. 
he had on cargo pants. So, yeah, he can probably carry. I mean, he's carrying a rifle, a revolver, the ammo, um, and supposedly a chain and a lock and and Lord knows yeah. what else. But, yeah, the speculation is, is that how did he get all this stuff to the hotel? Because in this New York Times article, they talk about witnesses that saw him and they said, like, he wasn't carrying a backpack or anything. And there wasn't the police didn't find any, you know, bags or anything in Marv Albert's car. And the crazy thing is, is that uh, Marv Alberts, he reported his car stolen and then like he, he moves out of his house, just like gets everything and leaves his home. So that's that's really weird. Yeah, that's one of the weird things about some of the shit I was reading in, in that uh, New York Times article is all the people who uh, ran into him throughout the day. None of them seen him like carrying mass amounts of uh, ammunition, right? And he was sitting up there shooting. How long did this whole shootout last? How long was it? The end of the at the end of the day, how long did it all last? It it I I think from the time the first call emergency call went out to the time that they the police cleared the top roof was about twenty four hours. Yeah, uh, he's like at, shooting it yeah. out with a fucking helicopter and shit during it yeah. all. It's just fucking absolutely yeah. insane. So not, in not, no, Go ahead. At, at the, I was gonna say at the end of that uh, that longer YouTube video, uh, the, there's actually a, a interview with police, and the reporters are asking him about the possibility of a second one. The cop that they're interviewing says, "I I don't believe that there were there was because we had police all over every exit point of the building." Uh, and the reporters are asking him, "Well, we've got witnesses saying that they kept." hearing like power of the people throughout the night now of course that was probably people on the street but i mean yeah i was gonna say that was probably just and you know i wouldn't be it's not outside the realm of possibility for some other random toad to have just started shooting at white people too and then and then you know ran off in the fray of shit right while he was up because like i said earlier when we started having this conversation man the their hatred for us is is uh ingrained in them right it's it's uh genetic right it's natural it doesn't have to be taught so at any time say some it's a howard johnson hotel so i mean i don't know about back then but nowadays that is not a fucking nice hotel so at any time some fucking you know toad pimp some negro gangbanger or some shit could have been in there with his pocket pistol and seen some other you know some fellow black running around shooting white people took part in the in the in the fray and then just got away with the crowd right i mean there's so many ways that you know yeah. white people could have been killed in this situation, and the fact that they're running around screaming "fucking power to the people" and you know kill whitey and all this shit. I mean, that's just that's that's you know average toad behavior, right? That's nothing yeah. new. Yeah, yeah. That interview starts at the four twenty mark. On yeah, that video. I think I've got it here. Uh, where is it at? I just pulled it back up. Yeah, I've got it at four thirteen. So let's see. Let's play it. was the plan on the roof? Uh, as far as I know, following uh, my command, it was just uh, an assault onto uh, the bunker, which they were holding, supposedly holding. Did you go into the bunker? Uh, I know it's quiet, guys, bunker, but that's as loud as I can uh, get it. On the side and then into it. 
what's it look like inside the bunker that you look at? It's uh, full of tear gas right now. It's a little hard to see and wet. And oh. they have a few holes in it, to say the least. W were there any uh, provisions up there, ammunition, food, anything like that? Not that we could find. What did the inside of the bunker look like? They had holes all over the place. They had part of it blown away where they could, you know, get a vantage point on them, but they couldn't actually get them. Did it, did it look as if someone had, had been in there for a long time? Or yeah, there was one section of the bunker, but one section of the stairwell that had no holes at all. And he could be crouched in, not got hit at all. Do you think he's somewhere in that stairwell? No, he's not there, not, not at all. Were, were there any signs that you could that would, that would serve as proof that someone else was up there besides the man who was killed? No. What's the theory on where he is? I believe there's only one. There's only one? That's my personal opinion. There's no way at all he could have got off that roof, in my opinion. Why do you say that now? There's Everybody no all night has been saying that there's there no were shots. There's no, how is he going to get from the, the roof to the 18th floor? All three stairwells were covered all night long by at least three, four, five policemen. Do you think this is really in effect over then? I believe so, yes, sir. You think there was only one? I think so, yes, sir. But didn't you get fire from the roof after that guy died? Could have been ricochets, could have been a number of things, I'm not sure. If there was I had no fire on me whatsoever all night. I mean, to be honest, though, it's... <laughs> It would not surprise it, it, it's me crazy. if these, yeah. these cops weren't, like, shooting at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, they have him crazy. killed, and they're still and, shooting at it, and, like, the ricochets from both these cops are just shooting back and forth at each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, at the start of the show, like, in, in researching this, I can't find any, like, original article from the New Orleans paper. Uh, you can't find police records on it uh, because the uh, – your autoplay went on but because like all those records got destroyed during uh katrina sadly so we just don't know what the new orleans police department like declared or what yeah. the, what what their official ruling what was. Their, so yeah what their actual yeah. yeah what they what uh conclusion yeah. they came to right so yeah. here on this uh this new york times article we've got up here guys this is from uh let me see so i can be exactly sure this is from january 15th 1973 um one second. All right, here we go. Uh, it says here, uh, New Orleans, January 14th. Some key details of last Sunday's confusing hot hotel shootout, which plunged this city into 30 hours, 30 hours of terror, are beginning to emerge. However, a week after, six people were slain by sniper fire. And that's weird. I guess it says uh, only six people because people continue to die. You know. Yeah. You know. Yep. You know, one guy I know died like three weeks later, and so on and so forth. But the official count was uh, nine dead, uh, fifteen injured, right, or some shit like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, however, a week after six people were slain by a sniper fire, a gun battle raged, and a gunman was riddled by police bullets at a Howard Johnson hotel in the center of the city, the authorities have no public answers to two critical questions. One, was there more than one sniper? And if so, how was an escape made past a swarm of 600 heavily armed policemen in and around the hotel? A reconstruction of the shootout and events leading up to it based on interviews with the police, witnessed and other information or other informed sources indicate the following. There were probably at least two additional persons, a black man and a black woman, involved in the shootout. 
Before the shooting, the police may have already linked the slain sniper, Mark James Robert Essex, or his possible confederates with the New Year's Eve slaying of a policeman and the critical wounding of another. So when they say this right here, I wonder if they're saying that the cops had come to this conclusion on their own, if they're referring to the grocery store guy giving them the tip, right? Because it says here, uh, what, what exactly is it that it says? Hold on just one second. Let me get this thing out of the way. Boom. Uh, it says right here, uh, may have already linked the slain sniper with the New Year's Eve slaying of a policeman and a critical wounding of another. So that's obviously talking about the two cops that the grocery store guy ratted on him about. But I'm wondering, did they already have him in their sights for another reason, or are they talking about the... No, I... I, I my... I don't think they they had any idea about who uh, carried out the uh, 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 the New Year's Eve shooting because it's uh, 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 Essex had, had only moved to New Orleans like a, a, I think in October of 1972 or so. Uh, he had had no arrest record. He was not known by the the, uh, the New Orleans Police Department at all. So I think they were still just in the dark about who who shot those two cops. Um, and of course, I mean, this is, uh, about what's the date of this article, the 15th. So this is a week after the event. I mean, they're, they're still putting together a, a huge timeline, uh, when this New York times article is written. Yeah. Says there are strong. Oh, I'm sorry. In our, in the hours just before the shootings began, the police may have had Essex or one of his possible Confederates under surveillance, but lost him. There are strong indications that the Howard Johnson shootings were planned in advance, with ammunition having been previously taken into the hotel. The snipers may have rented a room over the weekend. There appear to be some indications that the police may have been aware that something might have been about to happen at the Howard Johnson. A key link in the claim of events oh, I'm sorry, a key link in the chain of events in the shooting the morning of Sunday, January 7th, of a 33-year-old white man who had a small store, Joe's Grocery Store, at Erato and South Gayoso Street in a black neighborhood. The grocer identified by neighbors as Joseph S. Pernisario, yeah, Pernisario is widely believed here to have been shot because he had identified or was about to identify Essex or a Confederate to the police as the New Year's Eve ass assassin. I am going to stop using the word confederate in reference to these toads because it is literally like giving me, the, it's like nails on a chalkboard saying, I'm just going to say like assailants or some shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The accused. Yeah, I don't yeah. I'm not I mean, say the, confederate. The, I don't like it. It doesn't yeah. sound. Yeah, <laughs> no, this article was written in 1973, so a lot of this language is just kind of outdated. I mean, today it would it would definitely be called assailant. <laughs> oh shit! All right. Okay, here we go. Uh, the police have refused to give any details about Mr. Per Pernisario's shooting, or even to dis this was weird right here. I remember reading this earlier, and it kind of tickled my uh, brain a little bit. Or even disclose his name. No New Orleans hospital will confirm having a patient by that name. Sources said, however, that M Mr. Pernisario was at the Hotel Dow, a local hospital, using a false name. 
He was reported to have had a wound in his shoulder and was under a police guard. The police say that sometime between 10 and 10.30, apparently, a few minutes after the grocery shooting, Marvin Alberts, a black man, parked his car with the motor running in front of his home at 1506 South White Street, about four, four blocks away. A black man with a rifle jumped into the car, police said, and sped off. Notice there's no mention of, like, a duffel bag with ammunition or anything, right? The police yeah, said yeah. that Mr. Albert is immediately reported... Mr. Albert immediately reported the theft, and they gave chase. The car sw- sideswiped another car along the way, the police said, but they lost it in traffic. The car, a light-colored 1968 Ch- Chevrolet Chevelle, was later found on the fourth level of the Howard Johnson's garage. Mr. and Mrs. Raymond F. Strecker, a honeymooning couple from Philadelphia who were staying at the hotel, recalled running into Mr. Alberts in the Howard Johnson coffee shop at around 5 o'clock in the afternoon on Sunday, January 7th. Although the police said they had lost the stolen car, the Streckers recall Mr. Alberts telling them that he had been picked up by a police car after the theft and taken directly to the Howard Johnson. Reporters who have sought Mr. Alberts have found that he and his possessions have been moved out of his home. So you can't, the dude just disappeared. You can't even find the guy yeah. to talk to him anymore. This shit gets yeah. really fucking weird. Yeah. Man. And, 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 and this is, you know, you, you have to think about this niches get stitches. I mean, this guy re- reports that his car gets stolen and I don't know, maybe the, the hood found out that he had reported his car got stolen, so he feared for his own life. I don't know, but that's that that is that is really weird that he, he doesn't have uh any like large backpacks with him or anything. Uh the strikers say in the paragraph below they they said that uh uh Mr. Alberts noted that the man who stole his car was carrying a rifle but no visible quantity of ammunition, indicating that large amounts of ammunition the police say we're in, we're using the shootout. We're already in the hotel, uh, and and a, a forty-four Ruger uh, rifle. It's a carbine rifle. It basically has the ability to carry a five-round clip at a time. There's nothing um, for it. So, I mean, as many shots as it took. I mean, you imagine at least he probably had at least two, three hundred rounds of, yeah, of ammunition. My- and it's my opinion he had it on several floors. Because if you remember when we were reading back through, like, the accounts of what happened, he was running through multiple floors. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just fucking tearing shit yeah, before, yeah. before he, before he, he got he, to the roof. He, he shot the, the first couple at the very top floor on the 18th floor. And then he works his way down. He shoots the hotel manager, I think, at the 11th floor. And then he shoots that guy by the hotel pool on the eighth floor. And then he works his way back up. I mean, the guy was just going through it and yeah, there's no re- insane. Like, I, yeah, it, it is. I'll, I'll take it from well, here. Real quick, before um, you take off, before you take off, I want to say thank you very much to Reverend Chad Kroger for the donation on entropy guys. Yeah. I've also got entropy up over there. If you guys want to go do that thing over there, thank you very much for the donation. He says, listen to young Pharaoh on YouTube. Hilarious black Hebrew Israelite. <laughs> uh, I actually do uh, get a kick out of watching those, uh, like, Israel United in Christ, black Is- Hebrew Israelites. And there's another one. It's really hilarious if you go and find this this toad. 
there's this one who calls himself the Hebrew killer and he is into like he is into like ancient Egyptology and he thinks that the Egyptians were the real blacks and shit like uh the we was Kang's thing right and he wears like this huge like side lock off the side of his head and he goes and like argues Egyptology against the black Hebrew Israelites who are like arguing like the apocrypha <laughs> and it's just the most insane fucking shit to watch, dude. It's it's fucking hilarious. I love watching that shit. But thank you very much for the donation, brother. Let me go over here to uh, Trovo real fast. The Rock 2021, thank you for the Bravo and the stay safe, brother. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, Kamikaze Groiper, thank you very much for the On Fire Times 2. I really appreciate you, bub. Thank you very much. Ragnar, what's up, brother? Thank you very much for the On Fire. Uh, what else we got here? Um. Uh, Bassoon Lips, thank you for the On Fire Times 2. And I think that gets us caught back up. Never Surrender, thank you for the hype. If you haven't, if I haven't already said that. What's up, Ass Kicker? Uh, Alright, there we go with that. Alright, boom. Yeah, take off, brother. Okay. One police source said reports had been circulating in the department at the hotel management had been warned that a group of people the police were interested in had checked in over the weekend. According to this source, they had taken a room or rooms. The hotel management has refused any comments on the case. The confusion on this incident was, was further deepened over this, over this weekend by a report that a neighbor, Edwin Wilson, 76, said that he was given a lift to church by Essex in a dark blue car at 10.45 a.m. last Sunday, the day, day of the shooting. If true, this would place Essex away from the hotel at the times the fires and shooter, shootings are believed to have happened. Which I, 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 this probably was just like something that was misinterpreted. Like, I, I don't think this happened at all. Uh, when the man in the stolen car arrived, the stage was set for a drama. That would transform the downtown Howard Johnson's motor lodge into a scene of horror. According to witnesses and the police, the following is an account of what happened. Uh, probably don't need to go too much into detail because this is, this is kind of a recap of what um, had happened. It's got the shooting of the various people, the Steagles. Um, there's, a, there's a few more details in this. I'll post the, uh, this New York Times article in the chat chat wants to to read along or do we get back down to kind of some of the um kind of some of the the um the conspiracy stuff because where'd you leave off at bud uh well i'm skipping down okay i'll 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 skip down to uh Look, look me in the room. Um, okay, so this is account of Robert Beamish, who was shot in the uh, in in the gut. It was in the hotel pool. He returned to his rooms, gathered up his clothes, and stepped out to the eighth floor patio by the rooftop swimming pool in the rear of the building. Suddenly, a man jumped out of some bushes about fifty feet away. He looked at me in the eye for a full second, then he raised the rifle cocked the bolt on it, and took very careful aim, Mr. Beamish recalled. 
The shot wounding him in the stomach knocked him in the swimming pool with an air trapped in his raincoat acted as a life preserver. Relieved, he said, because the wound did not hurt as much as he thought it would. Beamish floated in the hotel pool playing dead for three hours until the police rescued him. I was kind of uh, happy to look around the water and see and not see much blood, he later said. Okay, where is the part? Cause right, yeah, is... I, think this, I think this is what you're looking for right here. So, Mr. Beamish, who stared at his assailant before being shot, then watched him intermittently from a distance for three hours, said that the man had been wearing a light tan jacket and brown slacks. I would say this man was taller than five foot four. Mr. Beamish told reporters. He was slender and fairly light-colored and about the same height as I, about five foot eight. So, basically saying that this guy that... Uh, Shot he saw shoot him does not match the description of Mark Essex, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. So, um... There was another thing up here <laughs> I was looking at. <laughs> uh, where was it? There was another one, too, up here. That was Is that about the, uh, the, the, the ashtray that was full? No. There's something no, about no, a no. cup. Okay. I'll, it I'll, was, I'll, I'll uh, see if I can find that. I saw there was another one talking about it. There was another one. I was on it when I went down looking for that. But they were talking about how he didn't, another person that didn't fit the description. Another guy, uh, something about, they said he was dressed in all green. Uh, the people who were reporting the shooter said the shooter was dressed in all green like Robin Hood. But uh, Essex was wearing green like army uh, trousers, green army pants, and a black turtleneck sweater. So there was another person who didn't necessarily fit the description, but I didn't think that was necessarily very valid because he could have very well had, like, uh, green uh, pants and a green army jacket on and, and shed the green army jacket at one point, right? So that's yeah. a very easy thing to dismiss as well. Yeah, uh, here, here, here's that, that other part that, that was interesting that may talk about there being more than one one uh, one shooter. On the 11th floor balcony, the Strecker, Streckers were huddled against the brick wall at about 1.30, when, 1.30 p.m. when they heard a loud shot, sounding as if it had come from inside their room, come, come through the curtain into the glass. Then someone started to smash the window glass from the inside. The young honeymooners climbed over the balcony into the next room, where a middle-aged couple, Ray and Florence, Farm of Houston had bolted their doors and barricaded it with two rooms. So basically, these, these two were so scared that someone was breaking into the room, they went to the next room through the outside balcony. They, they just jumped over or climbed over. That's how scared shitless these people were. The, the two couples, four people, lay on the floor, sometimes talking in frightened low tones. Around two o'clock, there was a tremendous volley of fire they remembered, and when the Streckers returned to their room later, they found it bullet-scarred. And the Streckers, who do not smoke, found an ashtray full of cigarettes behind a bed. Now, maybe that had been left there by the previous guest, and the, ho the hotel maids didn't clean it out, but it, it does, I mean, this is just more eyewitness testimony that uh, there had to been, or th the possibility that there might have been more than one person. Um... Did you have something you wanted to carry on with that, or should I 
just read to the last paragraph or so. Yeah, go ahead and knock it out, man. We're coming right up on the okay. end of the show, okay. man. We we got well, right there. That was perfect. Yeah, man. So go ahead okay. and knock that I'll, out, man. I'll, and we'll say our goodbyes. Yeah, I'll go to the very bottom where it, where it be, uh, starts with at about 145. At about 145 Monday afternoon, officers stationed on the 18th floor began to rush rush the roof. Uh, okay, so yeah, th- 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 this is that footage you see of the cops shooting up on the on the on the on the hotel roof. One by one, they popped up through a fl- hole in the roof of the steam room. Policemen dashed, some tripping in their ex- anxiety from one of the blasted-out stairwell bunkers. Soon, there were about 30 officers on the roof, some in casual clothes, others in flak jackets or bulletproof vests, some wearing the mo- motel blankets flapping as they ran. They blasted away at the central blockhouse. As the shots echoed, three officers staggered back and fell. They did had been hit by chips of flying concrete. Police Superintendent Clarence B. Garusso has said that there was a period of time when the exit from the roof was unknown to the police. As the police moved gingerly about the roof, an officer arrived with a ye- yellow fire axe. First, he beat on the on the door of the back house of, of the blockhouse. Then they climbed to the top and began beating and prying at a trap door until it finally sprang open. Rifles at the ready, they peered in. Eventually, they would search the air conditioning ducts and the machineries and the nooks and crannies along the roof and tear out the false ceilings in the hotel bathrooms. They found no one. And that's where the article concludes. So basically, like I said, we'll just, it's, I, I don't, it's impossible to know what the police concluded at this because the records have been, the records weren't transferred to digital storage and they were destroyed by Katrina. Um, I'm kind of under the impression that there probably was, that Essex probably was the only shooter, but it de- there definitely is a lot to, to be said about the fact that he wasn't seen carrying a, a backpack or anything else. So he, he must've had some help like planning this whole thing out. I mean, just the fact that, uh, he he goes from this random house in New Orleans in the ghetto to uh, 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 Howard Johnson of all places. I mean, he could have gone to you know a public square or something and just started shooting. But I, the whole thing is it's very uh, suspicious. It's very infuriating because, like we said, I mean, you know, when, when we read about the uh, the Steagles, like if this had been a a, a Klansman executed a, a newlywed black couple and draped a confederate flag over their body children would know about this in school like there would be movies about this and and i yeah in school absolutely yeah. it would be part of curriculum in schools man yeah uh and to wrap this all up i want to read this these last uh little two paragraphs right here to to wrap this whole thing up man uh let me get them pulled up here is that on the sniper, the, the crime magazine? Oh, it's right here at the New York Times. It's right here. It says, uh, let me fucking find it again. Here we go. Five days after his death, the police found the last of his four addresses here. A forty month, a $40 a month flat whose walls were covered with black and red painted slogans like, Shoot a devil like you shoot a dog.
My destiny lies in bloody death of all racist pigs. The quest for freedom is death. Then by death I shall escape freedom. The weapon he... And it says here, the weapon... This is this is really weird. I'm going to look into this again, and I'm going to cover this from like the paranormies angle because there is some weird shit going on here. Listen to this. I'm going to leave it all right here. The weapon he carried was broken into four pieces by the gunfire. The police put it together for display later with scotch tape. It was identified as a 44 caliber Magnum Ruber carbine purchased by Essex from Montgomery Ward in Emporia on April 11th, 1972. So that's the fucking that's the fucking uh <laughs> that's the weapon they have is a fucking gun they say was shot into four pieces and duct taped or scotch taped together. <laughs> it's I believe so it. Fucking that, weird. I mean, because I mean, they, they did have just, a helicopter yeah. shooting at him too. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the last thing I'll say about the helicopter is that uh, Marine pilot, he he actually was uh, in the process of being court-martialed because technically he did not have permission to go to use military equipment in a in a civil matter like this, especially when it come when it came to law enforcement. And I mean, this just shows how retarded our military can be. How by the book they are is that they were actually going to court-martial this guy until the uh, congressman from new orleans who was just happened to be like a 40-year member of, of congress and he was uh, on the uh, house armed services committee he basically intervened and told the marine corps to, to uh let's not court-martial uh the hero of, of this story but I mean, yeah, without that Marine, I mean, the, the, the shootout could have gone a, a, a hell of a lot longer. Yeah, because it the, would I mean, have. yeah, the, the cops yeah, and a lot black more jackets. cops would have been killed. Yeah. A lot more people in general, cops, people, whatever. Yeah. A lot more people would have been killed, man. Yeah. Yeah. But, man, uh, and, dude, what were we going to say? Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say about that Marine, He uh, his, his next big event in his career, this guy was a hell of a – uh, of a of a marine and an american he was he served several combat tours in vietnam he had seven helicopters uh that went down that were shot down that he was piloting awarded medal after medal he assisted in this his next big uh, event uh was actually the attempted rescue of iranian hostages that that was a failed mission he served in the marine corps for over 30 years and retired in 1990 just like and you know he he passed away last year at the age of eighty four, and that's that that's kind of what breathed uh, new life into this story was was his his passing. You can find a, a few articles or a, a few videos on YouTube uh, just by searching Mark Mark Essex New Orleans sniper or Chuck Pittman, just because that that cover that were made after he after Chuck uh, passed away last year, so. Uh, let's get some salutes in the chat to Lieutenant Colonel Chuck Pittman, uh, the hero of the day. So I'm going to type in some chats now. A hundred percent, man. He was, cause if it wouldn't have been for that motherfucker, it would have been really, really bad. It would have been a lot worse, man. But yeah, dude, thank you very much for bringing that to my attention. That was fucking excellent, dude. That was really good. Yeah. I can't believe like I said, I can't believe it's one of those things. It's, I mean, not even uh, mentioned. There's not like even when I was looking for it, like when you sent it to me, like so I, 
most of the time when I have a subject like this, I'll watch a couple documentaries. Like when I go to bed at night, Jane and I will sit there and we'll, we'll lay there and watch a documentary to go to sleep, right? But there's not even any documentaries about this, right? You can't no. even find a good documentary about this. Everything you can, The two videos you sent me were like the best two videos you can find about it. I found one yeah. that was 48 minutes long. But it's uh, – I'm not even sure it's about the same thing. It may be. It's really weird. But, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you cannot find information about this, man. So, yeah, yeah I'm no, glad we were able to do this show. Yeah, it's completely memory-hold. And, it, it, you know, the reason why we're talking about this is that to, to the chat out there, like, it's just important to know uh, the history. Like that Amaranth article talked about, it said, like, whites are doomed to fall victims to these kind of events if they don't know the history of this stuff. And like I said, there was 43 years between Mark Essex and Micah Johnson. It's not going to be another 43 years until we have the next, like, sniper. I'd be surprised if it's another four. I'd be surprised if it's another Uh, four, man. It it could happen this year. It could happen this year. And, you know, another reason, man, uh, that's why we have to put – if we don't put this shit out here, if we don't do these things, these shows, and have this information out here and break it down and and put it out to the public, nobody ever will. This right now is, like, officially the longest breakdown of this out there. Yeah. This is it. (laughs) Yep. It's fucking insane, dude. Yeah, and and, and that's the other thing. I know I'm on a a rant, but, like – I've listened to a ton of American Renaissance podcasts, which Paul Kersey is on. Sam Dixon's also part of, well, he's not part of American Renaissance, but he's spoken at every single American Renaissance conference. Paul Kersey and, and Sam Dixon, like they talk about black crime and the hypocrisy, you know, the double standard all the time. I had never even heard those two guys mention of this, mention this incident. I mean, that's how completely memory hold this is. And there's a few articles that popped up in 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 the New Orleans and in the Dallas uh, media scene after that Dallas 2016 shooting about this, but it was completely forgotten about. Completely forgotten about this. And we're coming up on the 50 year anniversary in about two years, so you know it's it's one of those things that like I think as time goes on and our movement grows like it's one of those things that people are going to start learning about more and more because i mean this stuff just cannot be ignored any longer it's important to 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 review this kind of material just so people know so that they have this ammo so when they hear about you know this stupid meme of like the white mass shooter yeah that they that they they can refute it because i mean it's class action everything you take things like this you take take cases like this and then articles like the national justice article that came out about the mass shooters where something like 72 percent of mass shooters were black and then you throw it in these people's face when they bring up that bullshit that's exactly what this information is out there for man but fam i hope you guys enjoyed it man i thoroughly enjoyed this this is one of the funnest shows i've had in a long time man Extremely, extremely good information. Wild shit, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a, a, a what they call that, a brush up episode on this, and see. I'm gonna look deeper into it because it's extremely. Uh, there's some extremely weird shit going on here. But fam, uh, this morning in uh, Mr. White Tuber's chat, I saw Pure Nomad talking about uh, we need more, uh, we need more stores from our people, right? Uh, we need more white guy t-shirts or something like that well i got 
my little Teespring store there, guys. And there's some uh, pretty cool shirts in there. They're not all shirts, like, plastered with my name and shit in there. So go check it out. I just put the link in there. It's also in those links that I have auto-generated in there. That's the links to my fucking Teespring store, my Twitter, uh, my BitChute. Please follow my Twitter and my BitChute, guys. I upload all my shows to BitChute. It takes me a while, but I've got most of them up there. Uh, so please go check those out, man. Thank you all very, very much for being here tonight, man. I really appreciate it. I hope you all enjoyed it. I loved it, man. Y'all have a good night. Have a good rest of y'all's week, family. We'll see you third. Oh, wait, Slav, anything you want to say on the way out? I'm sorry. Uh, no, it, it's been great coming on. Uh, maybe yeah, I'd love to come on anytime. I was just Absolutely. thinking, you know, b- both of us are Okies, and maybe this April we can do a show about our thoughts about the uh, Oklahoma City uh, Federal Building. Dude, that's funny you say that. We should do that. We should definitely yeah. do that on the anniversary. Absolutely, man. Sure. Well, thank you very much for coming on, brother. Fam, no problem. Thank you very much for being here. I hope you all have a good week. It's been fun hanging out with you all. I appreciate you all for being here. Everybody that shot me stuff over there on Trovo, all the uh, spells and things uh, like that, Ask Kicker Boss Chad, I think you're the only two that have uh, donated since I last said something. I appreciate all of you guys for all of that, man. And, uh, mostly, I appreciate you all for being here. Have a good week, family. I love y'all. One people, one struggle. Have a good night, y'all. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. You're cool. And fuck you, I'm out. Nothing left but the fire in my chest and the air that fills my lungs. I'll hold my tears and trade my ears for a glimpse at kingdom come. On the other side of misery, there's a world we long to see. The strife we share will take us there to relief and sovereignty. Oh my God, we'll have our home again. My God, we'll have our home. My blood or sweat will get there yet. My God, we'll have our home. In our own towns, we're foreigners now. Our names are spat and cursed. The headline smack of another attack Not the last and not the worst Oh, my fathers, they look down on me I wonder what they feel To see their noble sons driven down Beneath a coward's heel Oh, my God, we'll have our home again start my own <laughs>